So what are your thoughts on, on Frederick Douglass? The narrative of the life of a slave. Um, well, uh, okay, hold on. I didn't know you were recording. You gotta start again. <laughs> you, start, you can't just start like that. Why? Because <laughs> it's, I don't know, it's weird. His, his suffering just started like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was born into suffering. I wasn't born into recording. Frederick Douglass, narrative of life of the slave. I think the, the first thing that captured me that I noticed was just the eloquence of the language. Um, yeah. I, he's a beautiful writer. Uh, and I think it's, you know, considering his, his background and how he learned to read and write, you know, by like, secretly getting lessons from like street urchins when when he's in um the city and and stuff like that you know he's risking life and limb you know being to be born as a slave and then to produce texts with that quality of language Mm -hmm. is very remarkable to me um yeah i think that's like the first thing that that i noticed when i started reading the book yeah yeah no there's definitely that 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 eloquence and there's also like just his um astute characterization of human nature like in the videos I've, I've been making like alongside this like literally like he abstracts from research papers from 100 years later are in his narrative um how he characterizes just like the ways in which his mind was expanded by reading the ways in which like giving him an inch as far as reading um allowed him to get a foothold change the way he sees himself and expand you know like that that really comes really speaks to uh, research that was done later as far as commitment and consistency like yeah yeah that's definitely super interesting um yeah I, th- I think the other things that really stood out to me um a couple of things is like how sinister and brutal the actual system of American slavery was and yeah. not just in like you know, the individual actions of the overseer, but the entire system that they set up and the way it's consciously designed to, like, strip the humanity from these people, yeah. you know, from the time they're born, you know? Like, yeah. um, I-, I found that to be, you know, crazy. And it's it's a harsh reminder of, you know, the reality of nature and, and of humanity, you know? Yeah. Um, this was 160 years ago. Yeah, um, that yeah. this stuff was happening, and before that, I mean, you know, humans have been enslaving each other from the time that we started recording history until like you, you know, even now. even even today, yeah. But on a very large scale, until you know, late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, um, yeah, is very recent. Yeah, it's very very recent. So you know, it's always a good reminder. I think that. We live in a time, things have just changed so rapidly now, and they've been changing so rapidly for long enough that it's easy to lose sight of these things, you know? Yeah. Um, And I think it's important to kind of be aware of those things. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think the one other, like, major point that really stood out to me um, is kind of an interesting one, is that... Basically, his determination and his love for freedom, his unwillingness to accept 
anything less than that in the long term. I mean, it really reminded me of, um, you know, in a way like stuff from Thomas Jefferson or George Washington. Absolutely. Or, you know, uh, Emiliano uh, Zapata or, or these revolutionaries that you see over time, you know, Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death, or, or Emiliano Zapata, prefiero morir de pie que vivir siempre arrodillado. I would rather die standing than live forever kneeling. Yeah. Um, Frederick Douglass embodied that spirit to almost, in almost a more profound way, you know, yeah. than many of those people because of the circumstances that he was in and born into. And he had never known even the possibility of freedom until he was, you know, 13, 14, and he started reading, um, you know, and and stuff like that. But despite that, you know, um, risking his very existence, you know, extreme, cruel, harsh, physical punishment, Mm -hmm. but also risk of death, you know. He, as a child, saw someone get shot in a river as an example. Right. Yeah, and viciously beaten constantly, and you know, just physically degraded as a, as a matter of course. Women, children, um, families separated. Yeah. Right. So, so I found that to be very remarkable. Like this, this was a a, a very, I don't know, kind of an incredible man, just in general, like yeah. and a human. Um, to have that force of will and that determination to like rise above your circumstances um and then also you know it's so interesting like to me his spirit is like what i think of as the ideal american spirit you know um as an immigrant to america like one of the things that i find really powerful is like this ideal of what america is and what America is supposed to be, yeah, you know? Yeah. It's about freedom and it's about liberty and it's about um, you know, bettering yourself and and all of these things and he completely embodies that, you know, oh, yeah. that 100%. ideal to his very core, you know, more than yeah. more as much as any other figure in the history of the nation. Mm-hmm. Um and the juxtaposition of that and the system in place that was, you know, preventing him from attaining his liberty in America is, is a very interesting one to think about. And I think it's kind of emblematic of this um, constant struggle that America kind of represents, right? Because there's this ideal that we want to live up to. Yeah. And we never will fully live up to that ideal. Yeah. But it's about, you know, examining it and bettering it and learning from our history and trying to get closer and closer to that. Um, yeah. over time so well, I found that to be a very interesting contrast as well because yeah. I really like you know some of the passages that he writes it's like the, it's heady stuff man it like fills your heart and you're like yes like liberty and justice and freedom and I'm going to stand up for what I believe in Yeah. Um, and, and that's America but it's also America that you know kept this man in chains yeah but I mean that, that that's the thing I find interesting is like Frederick Douglass, to me, is like the founding father who completed um, the articulation of the American ideal. Because prior to that, it was it was a partial, uh, half-baked ideal, you know? But he saw it for what it really is and took it to its logical conclusion. 
Um, and, and, and Biden articulated that beyond what had really been done before. Um, and and I, I would argue what, what he exposed is that, at least in how America was like described or circumscribed by like, you know, the values professed in the founding, um, what was happening in the South was un-American. Yeah. You know, what was happening in the South was um, inhuman. Forget American. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, but just like that, that inhumanity and like the nature of that inhumanity I found interesting. Um, and part of what I've been talking about like in the, in the videos that go along with this is like there were people in here who kind of glimpsed the inhumanity of things. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, not the slaves. Obviously, they for the most part got it, um, but like the street children that would help him learn. You know, when he was like explaining to them, like you know, why is it that you you're free and I'm not? They got it. They were like, yeah, why is that? Yeah, you know. But when they grow into adults, they lose that. You know, or like Sarah Ald, like when she goes into his home, she's like kind to him. She starts teaching him how to read, but then she stops. So what I find interesting too is like. To look at this history and just see the nature of like the conformity the systems of authority of like social proof um of lack of dissent that we're just keeping keep keeping the system in place and preventing skepticism of the system you know like mm-hmm. if sarah ald had heard one other person uh stand up and say one other person in her social network in her systems of reciprocity like someone who can bring her a cup of sugar, if someone like that had said, hey, you know, clearly this is wrong. You should teach the guy how to read. The likelihood that she would have continued with that is very high. Yep. But finding that source of dissent was super hard in this in this environment. Yep. So I actually want to, you know, dive into that a little more because, you know, for the listener, they may not have like the context of who is Sarah Ald or, or what is going on there. Yeah. So to yeah. paint the picture a little bit, you know, Frederick Douglass um, grew up on in his youngest days in a farm in Maryland, I believe it was, right? Rural Maryland. Baltimore, yeah. Yeah. Outskirts of Baltimore. Yeah, yeah like way, I think he was further out there initially, yeah. right? On a farm somewhere in Maryland on a plantation. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, lived there for some number of years. I would have to try to find the exact uh, time. But then at some point, you know, I think it was roughly mid-childhood. He might have been about like 10, 8, 10 years old, something like that is what I, I recall. Um, he goes to stay with his master's brother and his wife. Yeah, and that's Thomas and Sarah Ald. Yep, yeah. and that's yeah. Thomas and Sarah Ald. And he goes to stay with these people in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. So he goes from being you know, a field slave to a slave in the house. Right. Um, and among people who haven't previously owned slaves and who are, uh, you know, working people who produce their own materials. Yep. Um, yeah. um, so At least in the case of Sarah, I don't know if Tom has previously owned slaves. I don't recall off the top of my head either, but I do but I know recall, Sarah didn't. Yeah, Sarah hadn't. And, and he really talks about this, um, as you were saying, this, this kind of like the injurious effect of, of slavery on her. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the quote is here. Um, let me find it. So, in entering upon the duties of a slaveholder, she did not seem to perceive that I sustained to her the relation of a mere chattel. 
and that for her to treat me as a human being was not only wrong, but dangerously so. Slavery proved as injurious to her as it did to me. When I went there, she was a pious, warm, and tender-hearted woman. There was no sorrow or suffering for which she had not a tear. She had bread for the hungry, clothes for the naked, and comfort for every mourner that came within her reach. Slavery soon proved its ability to divest her of these heavenly qualities. Under its influence, the tender heart became stone, and the lamb-like disposition gave way to one of tiger-like fierceness. The first step in her downward course was in her ceasing to instruct me, end quote. And that is that moment that you're talking about where she'd started, you know, teaching him a little bit to read. Mm -hmm. Then her husband found out about it and was outraged. Like he freaked out. That's the authority dynamic is in her context, her husband represents an authority. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you know, she overweights his his, um, prescription, even though it's against her moral intuitions then makes a public commitment um, that's pro-slavery, namely, like, I'm going to stop teaching this guy to read. Now she naturally seeks to be consistent with that commitment. Everyone around her is social-proofing that because they're embodying that too. So it's like this system of authority, social proof, and internal commitment and consistency that pulls her along the road to further and further um, depravity. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think what, what, what I think of when I think of that too is, if you were in that tide, if you're dropped in the river, are you the person, are you one of the 25% of people who just say what they think is true regardless of these dynamics? Or are you one of the 75% of people who go along with it or right. worse or enthusiastically go along with it? Right. And I think that question is, um, is, is important. Yeah. I think it's extremely important you know, and I think that, you know, at least for me, I always have the initial tendency to say, oh, absolutely. You know, I wouldn't stand for that because I'm viewing it through, you know, my modern lens, mo- modern, yeah, moral lens. But, um, you know, I think the realistic answer is probably not. And I think that's true for yeah, most any, any given person, right? Yeah. Like, most likely, if you look at the odds, mm-hmm. right? Um, you won't be that person, right? And it, I think this repeats itself in history again and again and again. Yeah. You see human beings driven to do horrible things. Yeah, um, completely against their you know common nature or mor- or your uh, or their moral intuitions. Yep, absolutely. I mean, you know, the stuff that was going on in World War Two and the Holocaust. I mean, the American. Slavery, I mean, slavery in, in general. Yeah, which is um, very comparable, frankly. Like when you read about it, I think it's comparable in the sense that you are a regular person caught up in a system of cruelty and dehumanization uh, against a group of people who, um, you know, can do nothing to fight back. Yeah. Right? It's like the, it's like the Ring of Gyges. Like, there's this Greek myth where it's basically the ring from Lord of the Rings. Like, you put it on and you're invisible. Mm-hmm. So, you know... If you have the ring of Gyges, how do you behave? Yeah. It takes a spectacular person to not start robbing banks and committing like all this impropriety. Like, and the way you see that is like, you look at people who have unfettered power, like Roman emperors, like, um, even like a good Roman emperor, uh, like, let's say like Octavian, you know, like when uh, a messenger comes to him and gives him a message he doesn't like, and he stabs him in the eye with a quill, that's the good guy. That's not Nero. 
<laughs> that's the good guy. Like that's why someone like Marcus Aurelius is so spectacular because like he had absolute power and he didn't abuse people. He he um, maintained himself as a paragon of virtue despite having the ring of Gyges, and that's a rare rare person. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. I mean, it's it's interesting to think about you know I, I think it's a moral imperative to strive to be that 25% or whatever yeah. the percentage is right to, to be the kind of person who will stand up and I think that you know the benefit we have living in you know 2021 is that we have all this history that we can go and 100%. read and we can understand you know um we, we can go one step deeper, right? We, instead of saying, um, you know, everyone who is in this system is pure evil and they're monsters and I can never do that. I think the much more frightening and realistic uh, proposition is... We're monsters. We're monsters, or alternatively, these people are not monsters. They're just people. humans, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and well, humans can be driven to do extraordinary things both bad and good um depending yeah. on their circumstances and like you said the social proof the commitment the consistency the authority yeah and whether um, they can tie themselves to the mast you know yeah like do you have the like like you know uh forethought do you have the education do you have the knowledge of what's gonna help you take a stand right you know like if if she knew like hey i have to i have this moral intuition but it's being snuffed out and i know i'm right but, you know, I'm just feeling a lot of social pressure and I can't maintain it. What I have to do is I have to find a dissenter that I can relate to person to person who can help me and stand up with me. Right. You know, even knowing that or, you know, I have to dig deeper and, um, and build rationale that is deep enough and impenetrable enough that I can hold on to it and it'll carry me through. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think it's interesting to you know thinking about it the slaveholders and in particular the people who were very committed during this time towards the end of slavery in the south yeah in to who were very committed to maintaining these systems yeah uh, i think they're very aware of this dynamic of yeah. if there's a single dissenter it's going to spread throughout the system and that's why you see things like sarah ald gets you know overrun overrun yeah. and vociferously told by her husband and yeah. in this time you know as a wife in the household yeah. she didn't have the authority to you know make her own choices at all really no. so that's why he shuts it down so you know viciously and if you later in the book there is a uh frederick Douglass talks about a i think it was a, a preacher or some pastor that was trying to teach some of the slaves um, like the Bible or, or reading or something yeah. like that. And other, you know, white religious figures, pastors, preachers, something like that, come over there in, in hoods and like burn down the building and, and threaten to lynch them and, and all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. And I think, again, the reason that they do that is because they know that once there is a public example of dissent, people will suddenly realize and come out and say, you know, this is wrong. Right. Um, so they worked very hard and very consciously, I think, to, to prevent that from happening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's, a, in general, 
something that struck me from reading this book is how intentional it seems the systems were put in place yeah. to maintain the status quo. What about Christmas, right? Right. Like when the slaves have Christmas off and they like encourage them to to drink and kind of like, you know, um, fritter away that time in order to debase their self-worth and their sense of what freedom would even mean to them if they did have it, you know? And if, you, if they try not to drink, if they try to do work in that period, they're punished. Yep. You know, if they try to build things for themselves, they're punished. If they try to read, they're punished. The only thing they're allowed to do is uh, drink and fight and play games. Yep. You know? Yep. Like, that's insidious. Absolutely, The yeah. whole system, like you are saying, it's like just um, insidious and, and sophisticated in their approach to just like debase and dehumanize people like on every level or like the grandma like yeah. the grandma who like raised the guy and like you know raised his kids and like you know um from from you know when he was like a tiny child like took care of him and then when she's old they just like send her away to the swamp to die yeah you yeah know? like that was some crazy shit like yeah so to, to provide some context here again so so this grandma is Frederick Douglass's grandma. Thank you. <laughs> and yeah, no, and and she had many many children, um, both uh, all of whom were you know maintained as slaves, um, all of whom were taken away from her as an infant, um, you know, kind of de-identified and distributed amongst like a system of you know other slave um, women to raise. Um, but this woman also, like you were just saying, raised the Frederick Douglass's master yeah. um, from a very young age, you know, was always there taking care of him, served him his entire life, right? Um, and then, like you said, when she comes of, when she gets old and, and she's dying, instead of being allowed to go and be taken care of by her children, children. you know, they the slaveholders essentially send her to a shack in the swamp to freeze to death. Um, like you said, it's a very sinister system that like from the very beginning of the slave's life, they're trying to take away this person's humanity, their grounding, any story or culture that they can tell about themselves other than, you know, I am property. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, like you said, it's it's sinister. It's extremely sinister. Yeah, that was that was a that was a hard one. Yeah, a really vivid one. Um, one thing that I found interesting too, kind of along the lines that we were talking about with like the line between good and evil uh, being within e- each person's heart, you know, mm-hmm. it's like the different overseers, like you know this guy, um, Mister Severe, who's just like cruel. Uh, whipping women and causing blood to run for half an hour at a time in the midst of their crying children, uh, profane, you know, yelling horrid oaths at people, uh, cursing, raving, cutting, slashing, and then there's another guy who replaces him, Mr. Hopkins. Uh, less cruel, less profane, uh, less noise. He whipped but seemed to take no pleasure in it. Part of the videos I talked about um, in relation to this book last week, one was on the Milgram experiment, mm-hmm. which is the one where basically you come in and there's a guy behind class and he's answering questions. And if he gets a question wrong, you give him an electric shock. And for each question he gets wrong, you turn up the electric shock. Mm-hmm. Um, and out of 
the set of participants, the vast majority went all the way to lethal levels of shock and beyond. Um, but many of those people exhibited extreme cognitive dissonance and were in like a nervous wreck. Like they were extremely unhappy about what they were doing. Yeah. But they did it. But they did it. This right here. Right. You know, so I just think it's, it's really, um, it's interesting how much it takes for people to like follow through on their moral intuition. You know, when you're like, clearly you're extremely troubled by this, you know, like in the case of the Milgram experiment, people were literally like wrecks. Like they were like, like stuttering and mumbling. They were like, please let me stop. And they could stop at any time. Nothing was keeping them there. There was just a man in a great technician's coat being like, we have to continue the experiment. Yeah. Well, they had $5 to be there and they were told, hey, like you can leave and keep the $5 and like you can stop at any time. But just the social situation made them feel as if they have to continue. Like, it's their duty to continue. Right. So I, I just think um, it's very... It's that, that aspect is sinister, too. Like, this aspect of seeing people who clearly know better participate. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. It's very... It's very interesting, like, facet of, of human nature. And again, I think it just speaks to how, like... We have to be vigilant, you know, as humans in terms of like, you know, what are the systems that we're buying into and um, what are the ones that we want to continue? You know, I think we just you you just have to be um, clear headed and keep your eyes open about like what are the social pressures? You know, what are people whipping me into a frenzy about um, on the one hand that. I really shouldn't be so outraged about and on the flip side you know what are the things that I maybe am doing that are immoral because of social pressure and you know I think the generally good thing for us in 2021 in the United States is that you know nothing that we're doing on a day-to-day basis is so extreme comparable yeah or, or comparable to that and and we're lucky in that way but that's not a guarantee you know yeah. like it's uh, again I think we touched on it earlier but it's been a very short period of time that the world has been relatively peaceful and the idea of you know not committing violence on other humans or, or the idea that committing violence on other humans is not acceptable and we shouldn't just do that as a course of daily life yeah. is a new concept. It's, like, pretty new. Yeah, um, it's, like, three days old when I didn't kick that guy in the chest. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. but, yeah, I take your point. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, so it's just, you know, it's very interesting. No, 100%. And, and I think, like, we are just so lucky to not have to um not have to uh, not have to be in the situation where we like are tacitly colluding with like mass murder or arguably i mean when you get to that level of like you know slavery um the holocaust like things like that you, you can't like you know bad like what's worse what's bad the point is like we're lucky we don't have to aid and abet something of that level yeah you know um but we're also because of that we also are able to form these ideas about ourselves that we're all oscar schindler or mlk 
you know, or like, um, like Lincoln or Grant, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think we all can be, uh, I think we all should strive to be, um, but I don't think it's a given that we are. And yeah. I think today the perspective is it is a given that we are. Those people were bad and evil and we're good and that's it. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> Which is, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, yeah, that's just kind of absurd. I mean, it's dangerous. I think it's dangerous because when things shift and like, you know, the, the opportunity arises for us to aid and embed a system like that, we're going to continue to hold the perspective that we wouldn't do something like that. And what we're doing, therefore, is not that. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. I think it's something that we, we definitely need to be careful of as individuals and as a society, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so, so switching gears a little bit, I, I want to read um, a couple of these quotes just to kind of highlight, again, just I find the language so beautiful. Um, yeah. So, so this one is a quote it's kind of like the um it reminds me of like the patrick henry or the emiliano zapata type of quote where i was talking about you know this american spirit but in this context he's talking about um his departure from the plantation to the city and he's talking about how it's one of the best it's probably the best thing that ever happened to him it's the reason it's the event that you know down the line leads to his freedom from his perspective right um but he's basically saying um that he believes that there's a good chance that there was some divine intervention in allowing that to happen yeah uh and then he says um you know i i may be deemed superstitious um even egotistical egotistical in in thinking it's um, you know, some sort of divine providence. And, and then I'm going to pick up there. So, quote, but I should be false to the earliest sentiments of my soul if I suppress the opinion. I prefer to be true to myself, even at the hazard of incurring the ridicule of others, rather than to be false and incur my own abhorrence. End quote. So, so again, that last line, I, I just love this line. I prefer to be true to myself, even at the hazard of incurring the ridicule of others, rather than to be false and incur my own abhorrence. It's like a much more eloquent version of what some of the people who did stand up to the Milgram experiment said. Yeah. Is that. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And it's, it, it captures this, you know, this beautiful ideal of like, you know, the, the ultimate truth, right? And dying um, for that truth, you know. Yeah, yeah. Or being willing to like put yourself on the line for that truth and you know, big and in his case, very small and in his case, very big ways. Yeah. Yeah. And it really speaks to this, like, you know, very fundamental idea. Um, the other day I was reading something, I don't remember what, but they were talking about, um, the Bushido, like the Japanese code of honor. And they were talking about, um, sincerity Yeah, and their ideal of sincerity and how, you know, politeness without sincerity without truth is useless and they're also talking about um confucius and and this quote from confucius um i'm trying to remember it but but it was basically um around this this same idea that um you know there is this this fundamental value of being true to yourself you know 
Um, and you must do that. You know, yeah. like it's an it's a it's a moral imperative for you to be honest with yourself. Yeah. Um, and with other people. Right, and with other people. I think it was actually um, it was Ben Horowitz's new book uh, that I was reading where, where they were talking about Bushido and Confucius and stuff like that. But anyway, um, th- that's a side tangent. We should do like an episode on Bushido. Yeah, I would love to. I would love to read some of that stuff that he was mentioning. I actually highlighted like a couple of the books and I was like, yeah. It's... The Hagakure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I have the Book of Five Rings here as well. We can talk about that one. I have that on my Kindle, so I I, I have that downloaded and like ready to go. So I that one would be interesting. That. Yeah, that you guy's read like that, the right? yeah yeah yeah. Okay. That guy's like the LeBron James of uh, murdering people with a samurai sword. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it it seems like a a very uh, very very interesting. I mean, obviously a very interesting person, very interesting time of history. Um, and a, a fascinating set of values, you know, and a, a fascinating way to approach life. Right. Yeah, very and interesting. Death. Fascinating way to approach life and death, really, in their case. Yeah, I find that pretty striking about that. They're constantly talking about, you know, you should wake up every morning and you should think about death. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I do think, like, when you're exposed to stuff like that, your relationship with death improves, you know? Yeah, definitely. Like those people truly like knew how to how to face death. Absolutely, absolutely. They really did. Yeah, I mean, to their detriment in World War Two, but yeah, yeah, that's a that's a different, you know, <laughs> that's a different uh, thing. If you want to explore that more, um, I highly recommend Dan Carlin's Hardcore History on uh, the War in the Pacific, World War Two. I didn't get um, that. God. Sorry, it's my Apple Watch just trying to ruin my life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, if anyone's interested in exploring, like you know, the Japanese cultural mores um, and how they played into you know what happened in the Pacific Theater in World War Two, I highly recommend that series. I thought it was great. Um, but anyway, Man, okay, it's it's so hard to like draw a line around like what to read for a podcast episode because we could literally do one podcast episode reading some of the stuff that's related to like this Meiji Restoration era um, and the Supernova in the East type era. We could read like, you know, um, Book of Five Rings, Musashi, the like fictionalization of that time, plus the Unfettered Mind, and then do like one mega podcast episode on all of that. Yeah. And that's why I've been having a hard time with the videos too, is like where to draw the line around stuff because you could just keep going. Right. You know? Yeah, absolutely you can. I mean, and you know, I think that's... <laughs> That's part of the nature of like reading and, and trying to educate yourself, right? Yeah. Is that you form these connections between things and that's where you really get value because you start to build like a picture of the world. 100%. And what yeah. we want to do for our listeners and viewers is mm-hmm. like, um, you know, help show that to them, teach them about some of the mm-hmm. things and encourage them to read these books ultimately, right? Because yeah. Obviously, just listening to us talk about Frederick Douglass is not good enough. Like, no. I think if anybody has one takeaway from this podcast, it's that you should go read Narrative of Life of a Slave. I 100%. think it's fundamental, and every American should read that book. Mm-hmm. I mean, every human, really, but especially every American. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I really think that's true. I really think that's true, and I think it's like Americans of every stripe should read that book. I think that um, 
you know, people who are more uh, right wing should read that book to understand the horror of slavery and not shy away from it, mm-hmm. and to to really understand like, you know, you know, in, in detail the darker side of American history. And I think people on the left should should read it to see how someone who was subjected to that um, didn't become cynical and embittered, and instead, like, you know, took it upon himself to fully articulate and. Um, build the the best and fullest version of the American promise. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, instead of uh, turning against it, he became essentially, like, another founding father. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, it's, it's remarkable, for sure. Um, yeah. Um, but going back to your thing about, you know, how do you tie, how do you tie, uh, you know, draw the circle around where to, where to talk about stuff. I think... Well, there's no right answer and there's no wrong answer, you know? Like, there's different ways you could do that. And, yeah. you know, if I talk about some of the podcasts that I like, they're very different approaches to this, right? Like, yeah. take Dan Carlin and Hardcore History. Yeah, he reads, like... I mean, he releases one, like, every few months and just it, goes super deep. Exactly, right? He spends months researching and writing yeah. and releases a four-hour episode and then makes a series that's six episodes, each of which are four hours, yeah. That like really dive into that, and to me, I, I love those. You know, I, yeah. it really appeals to me. You do have to be a little crazy to like want to listen to like thirty hours of like, you know, the war in the Pacific. You know, <laughs> or, or to yeah, but it. he has hardcore fans. People, uh, people consult him in the Pentagon and stuff. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. um, or, or another one is like you could take like Jocko's podcast, right? Yeah, where he draws, I'd say, a, a much tighter circle much than um, than. Dan Carlin, he says, you know, this book, we're going to discuss this book, yeah. right? Or I'm going to interview this specific person and talk about either their book or their life, their experiences. Or like the, a paragraph of a field manual. Like, that'll yeah. take like three hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I guess, you know, if anyone's listening to this, I encourage you to connect with us and tell us what you want to hear. I mean... What would you rather have? Would you rather have more regular content on a, a, a pretty good cadence where we can talk about a new book, you know, say every week or, or something like that? Or would you rather us go on like, you know, this deep dive into um, the Meiji Restoration, read like 10 books and come back and talk about it for like six hours? I mean, you know, what do you want to hear? Um, I, I think I definitely would love feedback on that well I guess that's the benefit of doing things more often is we can get more feedback that's true we can do it like Gucci Mane and just keep releasing them and then eventually catch a few hits along the way hey yeah I mean if we if we can have you know the sheer output of Gucci Mane let alone like the quality of some of his music um, we're in great shape I mean that's putting your your nose to the grindstone or whatever the the, the correct Phrase is that is, a bad phrase? I don't know. Is, is that a, the right phrase? I thought I was like messing it up. Okay, I think it's no Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was like you know just saying it like weirdly like a foreigner like you know like <laughs> could be yeah. wrong. I, I do that. You are the still sometimes. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because you know I moved to America at such a young age and I've been here for you know fifteen years now and like still yeah, the baseball metaphors are still tough <laughs> for sure. Well, especially for you guys because no one else in our family likes sports other than me. I like like MMA, but MMA, just yeah, like UFC is good. But yeah. I like sports in general. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I would like it if I could get into it. I mean, if we do a podcast episode on football, 
<laughs> now I'll read like six books on football and I'll start to get it. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. I uh, thought about that at one point when you were in football that I'd like buy a book on football and just like learn about it that way. But, <laughs> but anyway, that's like... Football is an interesting game. Uh, there's a lot of like strategy to it. It's It's kind of like a chess match that the coaches are playing in a way and it only like... Like in order to win a football game like everybody has to execute and the strategy has to be correct like wizard chess yeah yeah like wizard chess or, or something or like hollow chess like hollow chess <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right um we got way off track so to bring it back i'm gonna go to uh another quote that i like from the book um so at this time let me just flip back a couple pages to get the context so He's living with Mr. Covey. Um, so he's back in the fields. Um, he's been taken away from Baltimore. Um, and now he's talking about um, basically being on the edge of the Chesapeake Bay. So their house was close to the Chesapeake Bay. And he would get to stand there and watch the sails moving off um, to the ocean. And he's talking about how powerfully um, this affected him. Um, so, so this is kind of his description of his feeling on that. So, quote, You are loose from your moorings and are free. I am fast in my chains and am a slave. You move merrily before the gentle gale and I sadly before the bloody whip. You are freedom's swift-winged angels that fly around the world. I am confined in bands of iron. Oh, that I were free. Oh, that I were on one of your gallant decks and under your protecting wing. Alas, betwixt me and you, the turbid waters roll. Go on, go on. Oh, that I could also go. Could I but swim? If I could fly, Oh, why was I born a man of whom to make a brute? The glad ship is gone. She hides in the dim distance. I am left in the hottest hell of unending slavery. Oh, God, save me. God, deliver me. Let me be free. Is there any God? Why am I a slave? I will run away. I will not stand it. Get caught or get clear. I'll try it. End quote. Um beautiful yeah it's beautiful and, and it's powerful and it's it's what's crazy about it to me is it's by dint of circumstance that he was able to learn those first letters and start on the path to this level of literacy but the man was like a genius regardless right and it's mm -hmm. like how many how much genius was lost to this system how many people like this were were unable to like express their brilliance you know or flourish or thrive I mean, endless, like innumerable people. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think the natural question for me that follows that is like, in today's world, how many people are there who are geniuses who could, you know, transform our society and our world, make giant strides for humanity who aren't able to get there because of lack of access to education or, you know, lack of proper nutrition in early childhood or, yeah. or different things like death that. Death from preventable disease. Yeah, death from preventable disease. I mean... A, a Crushing good, poverty, global poverty. You know, like, 
yeah. dollar a day type living. Yeah, dollar a day type living. I mean, incarceration, right? Yeah, I mean, especially in America. That's uh, yeah. I was watching. There's a there's a documentary that Ken Burns and Lynn Novick made yeah. on basically the Bar Prison Initiative, oh. um, which I know you love the Bar Prison. Yeah, I love yeah. the Bar Prison Initiative. Um, yeah. And so I started watching that uh, a couple days ago, and, and I watched the first episode. It's really good. I highly recommend. But um, it's you know, it, the power of education, I think that's something that's very apparent in this book, and we've talked about it yeah. like this whole time, you know, mm-hmm. like how he kind of unlocked this literacy and that led to this path to, to freedom and his yeah. ability to, um, you know, put words to these feelings and these systems and yeah. expose them for what they are, these mm-hmm. fundamental truths about human nature. And in this documentary, even just one episode in, like, you could really see that power for the people who are in the prison system as well, right? And just this access to education, and they were like, it was like watching a light bulb go off in their mind, like, oh, like, this is what I'm looking at, you know? This is um, how you can describe the situation. Giving them just the the words to describe the systems and the things that they're seeing. Yeah, um, yeah, 100%. Very powerful. And I wonder, you know, how many people are there that should be, you know, that, that could be doing such amazing things that can't because they don't have access to, to those things, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It was like, I mean, even people who, who do have access to an education, like the quality of education, um, depending on, you know, what school district you're in and how much it varies is can be staggering you know like um one of the people in the in this documentary was talking about how um they read a whole book for the first time after they came to prison at 19 yeah you know they went through high school and they never read a whole book yeah and imagine what that does to your self-perception right to not have read a whole book and then to do it yeah you know like people people have very strong feelings about this stuff you know yeah yeah it's like uh, I was talking to that, that friend of mine who's like you know I've been trying to read like Marcus Aurelius meditations and I keep putting it down and like I really want to finish it I really want to tackle it and just like the disappointment of it you know yeah. and the the desire to like dig deeper and to like be more you know um and not in some like not in some uh, magic pill way like they want to do like do the hard work of introspection and analysis um and just just dig deep in that way but it's it's hard for a host of reasons yeah yeah and that's the other thing too it's like we're talking about people who literally like are dealing with death debility uh imprisonment but even someone who's like um busy yeah like like type a educated person uh who's really busy and whose um, attention is just being drawn and quartered uh divided up circumscribed by like you know billion dollar companies yeah, you know it's like Netflix takes one piece, YouTube takes another piece, um, we take a little piece. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. But you know, our, our piece that we take is like you know we give it back to you. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I think that's kind of the goal of, of what we're doing here, right? Is um, just to provide a counterpoint to that, right? Like, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that we're, we're doing this in large part because, like, this is something that we ourselves struggle with, you Absolutely, know? Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's hard to try to read all of this 
um, you know, literature and, and even not literature, like business books or even fiction, yeah. right? Um, you can learn valuable lessons from just being well-read in general. And, yeah, absolutely. You know, as much as I love to watch random YouTube videos, I definitely get more value from reading pretty much any book than I do from watching pretty much any YouTube video. I would say that's almost been universally true in my experience. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a solid principle because reading a book, I mean, it puts you in a different mindset. Like, it, it, it shakes you loose from... Um, this kind of like instant gratification, uh, quick hit, like, you know, dopaminergic state, you know? Yeah. And it forces you to take a step back and like digest and, and consider. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. And like, you know, when you read a biography, I feel like you feel it very acutely, you know? Where yeah. you're just like, you you become so like close. To it Like, okay, compare like a biography to like um, some like tabloid article about someone, right? Tabloid article, it's like they're a caricature. In the biography, it's like you're like like a family member of theirs at that point. By the end of the book, literally, it's like they're your family member. It's like you feel for them in this like poignant way because you know so much about them. Like You know like their uh, strengths and weaknesses, the strengths they knew they had, the strengths they didn't know they had, um, their insecurities, and it's like just this, this extremely like deep experience that cannot be had. Um, in, in a short attention span meeting. Like, you're not going to TikTok your way there. Yeah, no. You know? <laughs> no, you're definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to read biographies for that reason. Like, you you know, it hurts. Like, you're like, oh. Yeah, yeah. Especially some of this stuff, you know, like, like Frederick Douglass. Like, it's horrifying. Like, many parts of this book. It's, it's shocking. Yeah. It's not for... Um, you know, it's not for the faint-hearted, I guess, is what I would say. Like, well, well, it is. But it also is, yeah. yeah it is, but, but it's not, you know. But prepare like, yourself. Prepare yeah. yourself, yeah. Because it's going to make you a little less faint-hearted after you get through that. Because yeah. it's 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 shocking, you know. Um, yeah. For me, the lack of agency is, is the thing that I find most, like, oppressive and scary. It's not, it's not the violence. It's the fact that, like, you're being controlled. You don't have, like... You don't have your life in your hands, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's why, like, you know, when Frederick Douglass is like, you know what, the next time someone lays hands on me, I'm going to lay hands back, and this is how it's going to be from now on. I'm like, yeah. Like, fuck yeah. You well, know? so so that's actually one that I wanted to talk about. I'm glad you brought that up. That's another example of just his... His will for freedom. He's like, I'm going to yeah. die right here. <laughs> like, he's like, that's it. It's incredible. You know? So, so again, to, to, to bring back the context of the book... Basically, at one point in Frederick Douglass's life, I think when he's like 17, 18, 19, somewhere around that age, um, all of a sudden, he's like, I'm done with this. Like, I'm not going to accept people, you know, violently attacking me. Yeah. And his, he was on lease to a master, a different master than his actual master. Oh, yeah, this guy who was like a, you know... Um prominent in the church but also known for like breaking slaves psychologically yeah exactly you know, weird that that can exist but yeah we can touch on that later yeah the whole the like religion, religion of the south yeah. yeah yeah but um he basically this guy goes to to attack him and he just snaps he says no and he beats the shit out of him but the slave as a slave he he physically fought and beat the overseer gets him in an omoplata yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly and for some reason, he doesn't get, you know, punished or killed. And, and his theory is, is that, you know, it's basically because 
This guy right. is known for breaking slaves, and he yeah. doesn't want his reputation to be known that you know a slave dared to do this to him. There's another commitment and consistency angle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he does this, I think, with another master later. You know, like he he like fights him. Yeah. Um, which again is just remarkable. Like as a slave in that circumstance, like you've seen people killed for much less than that. Yeah. Much less than that. Let alone like beaten bloody. And then to, despite that, despite the risk, just say, I cannot stand for this. I will not stand for this. And to take that action, it's remarkable. Yeah. Yeah, remarkable. And like the echoes of that just like rings through like history to now. Yeah. You know, like we're still captured by like just the risks he took for his personal dignity and to be like, you know, enough. Yeah. You know? But that attitude, that like, you know, like brawling attitude where he's like, you know, truly like give me liberty or give me death. Like you said, like this like, you know, um, Lockean conception of freedom. But in reality, he's like, I'll actually die for it. And that's the thing about like the type of freedom that the American experiment is predicated on. It's that type of freedom. Yeah. You know? Um, Yeah. And for the most part, it's not expressed that way today because we don't have to die for things. Yeah. Some people do. but Some people do. Most people don't. Most people don't in America today don't yeah. have to die for freedom. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. That's probably a topic for a different time. Yeah, yeah. it's fair to say most people. It's yeah. fair to say most people. I think yeah. it's definitely fair to say most people. I, I think it's definitely fair to say most people. So okay, um, regarding the religion thing. Um, yeah. Oh man, that's a whole whole can of worms. That is a whole can of worms. Um, I do have a quote here that that I could um, uh, read from the book where he where he talks about this a little yeah, bit, um, and I'll preface this with saying, you know, um, I hope that I don't get brigaded by like you know uh, the the Westboro Baptist Church or something for saying this. I'm not anti Christianity, okay. Uh, I I just am quoting the book, and 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 we can we can talk about it. But I, I think I think that I think it's okay. If yeah, they do, it's fine. <laughs> it is fine. It is fine. Um, that, that that was a 2021 aside right there. Is yeah, yeah exactly. Like that. Anyway, so all right. So quote: I assert most unhesitatingly that the religion of the South is a mere covering for the most horrid crimes, a justifier of the most appalling barbarity, a sanctifier of the most hateful frauds, and a dark shelter under which the darkest, foulest, grossest, and most infernal deeds of slaveholders find the strongest protection. Were I to be again reduced to the chains of slavery, next to that enslavement, I should regard being the slave of a religious master the greatest calamity that could befall me. Yeah, and I mean, here they're like, they attend with strictness to the outward forms of religion, and at the same time, Neglect weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Yeah, because it's easier, right? I mean, you, you stick to the forms of religion. You ape the forms, but you use it as cover for... Um, well, it's like that Ring of Gaiji situation, right? Right. I mean, you have absolute power to do what you will, and it reveals you. you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I don't think anyone would claim, like, you know, the tenets or ideals of, of Jesus were to, like take infants away from their mothers on birth um, and, and, like, whip them and, and things like, you know, ex- 
execute extreme violence on like a societal scale. They would. Society. They would, but today, <laughs> right? Like today, no one would say that. No one, no one we would really like encounter. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna call it no one, and hopefully, I won't talk. You're to hopefully, anyone right about that. Yeah. No, um, but I mean, yeah, go ahead. But back then, they were able to use use it to to justify it. You know, they yeah. the very same texts. So that's another mm. you know interesting thought, and I don't know that I have. I haven't like you know developed a lot on this so far, but um, it, it's kind of an interesting thing to think about, right? Like, you know, what is the influence of our own moral, you know beliefs our own culture on what we draw from the texts that we read right and how is it that again we were talking about the culture of the south and how it was set up to maintain the system of slavery how does that um allow them to take the same text of the bible and 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 you know um christianity and say that it justifies this um violence and, and oppression yeah well I think um, I think it's like first of all the Bible is a really old book that's true there's a lot of violence so there's in the Bible. passages I mean there's passages literally like about slavery in there you yeah know? Um, but I think clearly any sane person who, who reads it is not going to walk away being like pro-slavery like those passages are you know they selectively take them out of context to justify what they already want to do yeah yeah um, but they they clothe it in the language of religion to like lend it further authority so it's really like borrowing religious authority to justify you know gross injustice to your own short-term benefit yeah uh, and that's another thing and the reason i say short term is when frederick Douglass is in the south the like common belief is like the north you know is going to be a shithole because they don't have slavery yeah like the north is going to be this like ramshackle place where people are just like you know like scratching out a hard living out of the land and the south is like this like you know beautiful place and he goes to the north and he's like what the fuck <laughs> he's like it's way better here like everyone's just doing work of their own accord and it's like everything is like beautiful and clean and well kept and like there isn't just that like undertone of barbarity underlying like every single place and face yeah you know <laughs> yeah it's like north korea like they or, or like any any heavily propagandized place where you know, they just think, um, yeah, they just think they have it better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how these, you know, the, the people in positions of power can, like, kind of pull these societal levers, right? Like, this yeah. idea of tribalism and thinking that, you know, your lot is better than others, right? Like, that's a fundamentally human thing to do. Yeah. Um, and then to figure out how they can, you know, pull that lever to make the slaves think that their tribe is southern culture and yeah. not you know um black americans or, or yeah. slaves or, or whatever it is some other american americans in general right yeah. but it's southern culture and they um you know like you said think the north must be a shithole because there's no slavery the slaves think that yeah um and even a slave who's educated uh and who you know like has somewhat of a broader uh, perspective and, and, and literacy because I mean there's some shallow ra rationale to that right it's like how are they able to get things done without this massive free labor how could they yeah but they do and it's it's much more robust <laughs> right yeah right 
Um, and aside from even that, like, you know, but this, you know, we talked about to Ridu about this like a while ago. Um, who, again, context, I'm learning from you. <laughs> it's like our uh, 13 year old brother. 14. 14. 14. I always get his gear like age one year old. <laughs> 13 in my mind. <laughs> but, you know, he's like, a, for some reason, well, not for some reason. But he's a radical consequentialist. <laughs> so we were talking to him about, like, okay, like, different cases. Like, you know, like, the people who leave Omelas, you know, and, like, slavery is one of those cases. Like, um, to some extent, where it's, like, it's not about economic output. It's about right and wrong, ultimately, right? It's, like, even if for your group, of, your, your um, contingent of friends and supporters, you're getting free labor, and the net utility is greater for that reason. I don't know how you'd calculate that, but let's say it is it's still wrong to derive the utility that way right. fundamentally right know? yeah yeah and the question of like why that's wrong is like complicated something to dig into but you know it's my moral intuition that it is and it's based on something like um, human agency and human life uh, has something vital and sacred about it that is inviolable and to violate that is fundamentally wrong you know, and that's probably a pseudo-religious idea. I don't know how you would argue that out. I'm sure there are, you know, lots of deep, rich, philosophical arguments that proceed from logic, purely, to make that point. And I'd be curious to dig into them. Maybe we can on some podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for me, it's more of a, a moral intuition that says that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I would definitely agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. I mean, it's like, it was like John Locke, right? Like, the whole idea of unalienable rights um, yeah. and, and yeah. stuff like that. Which is, again, it's funny because those people lived in a society where, like, those unalienable, inalienable, unalienable? I don't know which one it is. I think it's inalienable, but also, I get the point. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the inalienable <laughs> rights are only prescribed to, like, land-owning, you know, rich, white males. Yeah. Like, it's so interesting, right? Like the again, like the cognitive dissonance, yeah, um, yeah. going on, and yeah. and how, but it's a very important ideal, right? And they started yeah. with that, um, and you know, yes, at that time it was a small group of people, and in a way there was some you know hypocrisy, if you will, in what they were saying. But um, I don't think that takes away from the power of the ideas. No, yeah, and then over time, you know we have continued to strive to those ideals and I think we get closer and closer all the time. Yeah. And I think that also speaks to the power of philosophy um, and logic and reasoning and to a certain extent like mathematics in the sense that like these tools push us beyond our intuitions. Yeah. It's like because this is true, this has to be true. Because, you know, um, taking, taking the premise that like you know, all people are born equal and have inalienable rights. So do uh, black people. So do women. You you can't deny that ultimately because the, the power of the argument, um, you know, just carries itself forward. Like, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think on the, on the hypocrisy point too, like, I think when you look at, um, like, the founding fathers, right? Like, a lot of them expressed, like, anti-slavery rhetoric. Uh, but some of them didn't follow through, and they followed through to various degrees, right? But when you think about these psychological dynamics, you start to see that it's not that easy to even express something like that. That I think that it should be acknowledged. Like if you're in that, if you were in that position again, think about the fact that 
let's say you're George Washington, you're in Virginia, uh, part of a slaveholding family. Everyone you know is a slaveholder. Uh, for you to step up and say, hey, you know, there's something fundamentally like wrong and broken about the system, even that takes a degree of courage and nonconformity. Yeah. Right? Um, it's not enough, and it's not to like excuse the fact that he kept slaves until the day he died. Um, but it is to say that it's hard to break free of the, the moral norms of your society. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And to do so fully, you know? Yeah. 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 It definitely is. Um, it definitely is. But, you know, it's, it's still, like I said, I, I think, it, like we were talking about earlier, I think it goes back to this whole idea that, like, you... These influences of society and social pressure are very strong. And if, you know, our society was... Basically, it's not that big of a leap to get to a place where society is encouraging people to commit these heinous acts or degrade others and their own humanity. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's yeah. really not that, that big of a jump. And it can happen to... Um, you know, great people, and it can happen to definitely, you know, average people and um, worse and worse. Um, so, you know, I, I think it kind of speaks to that as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's just it's just interesting. There's this like green beard experiment. Have you heard about this? I have not. What is the green beard experiment? Experiment. Well, it's about like se- selective altruism within individuals of a species. Um, let me see here. I'm trying to find like a specific, uh, a specific study. All right, I can't find it. We'll say that for another podcast. All right, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> yeah, it is tough to like find stuff kind of like on demand, you know, as as we're talking about, as we're talking about it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so on that note, any uh, final thoughts on Narrative of the Life of a Slave by Frederick Douglass? Or Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave? Yeah, I mean, one thing I found found really interesting and and hopeful um, was this passage here where he's like, The most astonishing thing, as well as the most interesting thing to me, was the condition of the colored people in the North when he finally escaped. A great many of whom, like myself, had escaped thither as a refuge from the hunters of men. I found many who had not been seven years out of their chains, living in finer houses and evidently enjoying more of the comforts of life than the average slaveholders in Maryland. Um, You know, my friend Nathan Johnson who's a, a free free black man in the north, says, you know, I was hungry and the people here gave me meat. I was thirsty and they gave me drink. I was a stranger and they took me in. You know, they um, lived in neater houses, dined at better tables, um, read more newspapers, better understood the moral, religious, and political character of the nation than nine-tenths of the slaveholders in Talbot County, Maryland. So I found that really interesting to see, like, how these people who were you know, so hungry for freedom, just really took it and ran with it and used it to cultivate themselves so quickly, you know, from their degraded condition. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That, that definitely is hopeful and, and, you know, 
pretty amazing. Um, pretty amazing. And then I want to find that passage about him uh, and his his reading, like his transformation. Um, let's see. Yeah, I, I can uh, I can try to dig that up here. What, what what are some of your last thoughts on this? Um. So I think again, um, I'll stress this. You know, for for like probably the fifth time in the last uh, hour or so. This book is amazing. Like you, you should go read this book. You don't even have to buy this book. There's a website called Project Project Gutenberg. Um, they have eBooks of pretty much every book that's in the public domain. Sorry, um, and this is one of those books that is in the public domain. So you can get it as an eBook. You can load it on Apple Books or the Kindle app on your phone. You can go get it from the library. But get your hands on this book and read this book because it is a remarkable piece of literature and it is um, fundamental to the fabric of our nation to understand this period in history and, and what was happening and what are the things that people did to take us out of this period of history and move us forward and make this remarkable transition away from the barbarity of the last, you know, five, ten plus thousand years of human history and say no, you know, um, highly recommend it. Um, I, I think that's the biggest thing that, that I have left. Um, I don't have any more um, specific quotes. I think I read a lot of my, my favorite quotes that I wanted to, to touch on here. Yeah, I would say one more thing is like, um, Frederick Douglass really like reveals something that's essential. Um, about being an American and what binds us together too, you know? Yeah. Where he's like this bridge between like the barbarity and the dark side of America, but also the hopefulness of it. Yeah. Um, and the fullness of it, you know? Um, yeah. And in, in some ways for that reason, a borderline messianic figure, you know, because despite being uh, persecuted, he turns towards the light and not the darkness, you know? Right. So I find that, I find that really interesting. Um, I would say, yeah. So, Definitely read this book. If you need help reading this book, uh, we've been working on our app. You might have heard about it in the videos. Um, we do a host of different things to help you get your reading in. We use all sorts of techniques from behavioral economics, cognitive science that are used on you all the time when you use other tech products. Except with us, we're like your personal trainer. We are using a host of techniques to encourage you to achieve what you want to achieve. If you want to live a deeper life if you want to dig into the literature if you want to transform yourself um, by going beyond you know 10 minute summaries of books that are summaries uh, or less <laughs> then come to us and like we can help you do that we'll use gamification we'll help you track your reading we'll you, you'll come and be among kindred spirits um, so we're still slated for October um, actually in my video yesterday I was saying I hadn't caught up with you on like new stuff uh, in development, but if you want to share, like, what, uh, like, you can <laughs> do your, talk about your <laughs> demo if you want. Yeah, uh, I'm going to say that I'll uh, I'll keep that under wraps for now, the details of, of the development process. Um, what I will say is that, um, you know, we're trying to get to launch quality as fast as we can. Yeah. Um, we really want to get this out there and iterate on it, so... I hope you'll check us out when it's out there. And if in the meantime, you know, you're interested, 
you have ideas, this sounds appealing to you, uh, get in touch wherever or however we post this. Um, we'll add some mechanism to contact us. Um, you know, was this interesting to you? Uh, do you have an idea on uh, what we mentioned about um, you know, the scope of these podcasts and videos and, and how many books we should cover? Um, do you just want to get on a Zoom call and talk to me about narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass? I mean, I'm down. Um, we Really, we're doing this because we want, we ourselves want to live deeper lives and engage deeper with the literature mm-hmm. and improve our reading habits. And we want to help other people do that. And that is fundamentally the goal of all of this. Mm-hmm. So um, once the app is out, get the app. If the app's not out, contact us anyway. Let's talk about it. I mean, if there's books you want to hear, uh, whatever it is, um, let's do this. Like We're all going to make our lives better by engaging with the literature so let's just do that yeah and if you're trying to get in touch with us you know go to the youtube channel leave comments subscribe there subscribe to the pod um as far as like emailing us yeah, we'll, we'll put an email on the pod yeah you can we'll in, put the in the description description yeah Re- reach out and um we're still chatting about what the next one is going to be about um we might do another one on frederick Douglass, reading one of his like later books or reading a, a biography of him and not an autobiography uh we also are thinking about um walter isaacson's genius biographies and reading a bunch of research related to like creativity and the nature of genius um and tying together the science and the biography folks like leonardo da vinci benjamin franklin uh steve jobs that's pretty generous steve jobs but i'll give it to him <laughs> albert einstein <laughs> He's the only one on that list who was like, hey, you should really write a book about me. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but sure, sure, Steve. Um, um, yeah, Book of Five Rings. I mean, we talked yeah, about that. Yeah. Marcus Aurelius Meditations. Half the stuff I say I'm going to make videos and I just make a different video. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, just prepare for the unexpected, but the, it's going to be good. The, the good thing is there's a lot of books. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we're not going to run out of content. <laughs> There's a lot of books, dude. Even um, something like Lord Chesterfield's letters. Like this was a series of letters written by this like British lord to his son, that uh, a lot of like you know prominent um, Americans and folks over time like used as like a guidebook for living. Like it has vaguely stoic undertones. Like no one talks about Lord Chesterfield's letters. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> or like just infinite number of things. Like we keep talking about the Japanese death poems or different things on poetry as well. I recently read. Um... Pride and Prejudice, Jane Austen. Um, yeah, we can talk about that. That book was also fantastic. Like I, that book was way better than I thought it was gonna be. Like yeah. I'm not gonna lie, I went into that book thinking like, yeah, how interesting is this gonna be? It's like some love story in like Victorian England, but it was an excellent book. I I really really liked it. So damn, you know that's maybe that's we should do that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, like I said, we're not gonna run out of content. <laughs> The, the limiting factor is just going to be how many books we can read. Yeah, which, you know, as we read more books, we're going to figure out what our secret sauce is, put it in the app, and tell you about it. Yep. And you're going to read more books. And then we're all going to be less susceptible to, you know, being lemmings that, you know, participate in horrible systems of oppression and just live these dark and unenlightened lives. And, yeah, just avoid the big questions and then die. yep so that's what we're promising you (laughs) 
That's right. All right. I think that's a good note to end. Yep. That's a wrap. See you guys next week. Slash next time. Probably next week. <laughs> <laughs>